I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Today on Fairy God Boss Radio, I'm so privileged to be talking to Beth Comstock, who's the former vice chair at GE, a leading change maker in the world, and most recently the author of Imagine It Forward. Beth, welcome to the show. Hi, Romy. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Beth, you've had an extraordinary career, and I'm not sure everyone is aware of, of the trajectory. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, I um, I had a career that so far has spanned almost 30 years, and um, I went from um, wanting to be a, a journalist on on television reporter, and I wasn't very good or confident in the early days. To to so I was a storyteller to to getting behind the scenes in media, largely at NBC as a as a communications uh, person, manager, and a publicist. From there, I, um, I found marketing, went to work at GE, which owned NBC, and uh, forged my path as a chief marketing officer, and then, um, then got into marketing, became kind of my gateway into innovation and change, um, because I believe in innovating from the market back, and that led the way for an innovation career and ultimately becoming uh, vice chair of GE, overseeing our business innovation, which was all about seeding what's new and what's next. So. It may not make sense to anyone but me, but this uh, what, the, kind of the common thread that took me through, I think, was this, cur- this passion for curiosity, uh, ha- having to understand what's new and next, and this thread of story is something I've carried with me my whole career. So cool. It's fantastic. So what you, you've obviously experienced a lot of change. What inspired you to write a book about change? Well, a couple of reasons. <clears throat> Excuse me, a couple of things. For one, I... Um, I just felt I uh, wanted to chronicle the messy, thrilling, hard struggle and joy of what it is to kind of instigate new ways in, in established organizations where you're part of change that has to happen either because the world's been disrupted, which it is increasingly, or just because the old way isn't serving you well. And I worked for one of the biggest, oldest companies on earth. And so I wanted to document that. Um, secondly, I worked with a lot of people, especially people mid to early career, who saw a better way. They knew there was a different way of doing it, and they needed some encouragement, some practical tips and tools, kind of a swift kick in the behind in some respects. So I felt, okay, I can, how can I take the, the learnings I've had, the mistakes I made, uh, the lessons I wish I had had when I started out my journey and kind of package them. And so that's what I, that's what I did with the book. You'll, you'll see if you read it, it's a very personal story. It's not your typical business book. And that I thought it was important to chronicle my personal journey in the backdrop of a company, could be any company, the journey to stay relevant and fight for the future. Number one thing on everyone's mind right now, for sure. It really is. Um, I mean, everybody's struggling with change. You're exactly right. Yes, and, uh, you know, I've lived that personally, having worked in the newspaper industry. Uh, so yeah, certainly could have used some of this advice then. At Terry Godboss, we're thinking all the time about gender and uh, gender dynamics so we can achieve gender equality in the workplace. How do you think you've seen gender play a role in your career and in corporations in the U.S.? Yeah, well, I worked at a really pivotal time for women coming into the workplace. Um, 
I mean, when I graduated from college in the the 1980s, I mean, it was just at that time when women were going into the workforce with their, you know, bow blouses and and um, just looking to get uh, get an edge. And I saw a lot of that change. It was there was a lot of meaningful change. That being said, I think there wasn't nearly as much change as I would have hoped for now looking back, as I look at my daughters now in the workforce. Um, I was always a woman, so that's the only way I knew how to navigate the world. And there were a lot of times I'm convinced that I might not have been taken seriously because of my difference. I didn't come with the same set of experiences or I didn't look the way a lot of my colleagues did. I mean, especially as I got into GE, which was much more technical and people coming out of engineering which historic, and, and finance, which historically hadn't had as many women. But media, too, it, it, it still had a lot of work to do. And so I've thought a lot about it. The book helped me synthesize it in some ways. Um, in, in the, so I had no choice but to just make the work really great. To me, that was, my, that was my way of working through it, was just to make sure that I, I worked on uh, – that my work was really good. And in an interesting way, as I thought about it, um, because I was a woman, because I came up in largely more creative – uh, or what people perceived as creative, although with marketing we really were able to show it's about business strategy. But because people kind of thought, oh, she's a creative woman or whatever that, that label was, in some ways I was able to navigate creativity in a different way, I think because they didn't know what to expect. They're like, oh, I'll just let her do it, whatever that is over there. And so I think in some ways I was a, I, I was able to grab that for myself and, and, and kind of grew into the the rebel, the the creative rebel that um, I didn't know I had, but that I had. So that kind of resistance that I got brought out more of that in me. I love it. You're such a consummate marketer that you you showed your own unique value proposition and made it your personal exactly. brand. It's really incredible. And I think, Romy, that's a great way to think about it. That is one of the tenets of marketing, you know, kind of know your strengths and be able to package it and deploy it in a way that's a competitive advantage. I think that's really well spotted. And so not only did you bring this unique value proposition, but you really paved the way for women to come after you at GE. I think you, you created one of the most well-evolved women's networks, and, and you've helped women all over the place, including you and I know each other because when I reached out to you cold, you, uh, you accepted my outreach and has, have been mentoring Fairy Godboss ever since, which is incredible. But so how have you thought about being deliberate and helping create a path for women? Well, I think one, when you're, I remember there was, I, it hit me really profoundly. Um, GE used to send us away to these training classes that lasted three to four weeks. And I was leaving NBC, coming into GE, and I got sent to one of these classes. I was the only woman for almost four weeks. And I remember that, that wow. moment, like, profoundly, like, this, you know, just the, being so aware in that kind of closed setting of my difference. Um, at the very end, one of my colleagues, I remember him asking me, hey, can you connect me with so-and-so who was a, a, a reporter at, at NBC? I'd like to ask her on a date. I was like, after a month, this is what you think of me? Um, oh and so God. I realized there I needed to be part of these broader networks of, of women. And luckily, I had been part of a group that um, was seeding a women's network. I think there were, might have been eight to 12 of us who felt we needed to seed a women's network at GE for exactly those reasons. And um, we got together in the late 90s and said, we've got to do something. We're going to sign up to make this happen. It's about 
training, developing, recruiting great women, we had these big debates. We said we can't make it about work-life balance, not because it didn't impact us, but that's not something that's only exclusive to women. What are the issues? What does it take to get more women, keep more women, and have them in leadership roles? And I was really proud to be part of that initial effort. And, I mean, we started out, as I said, maybe a dozen women. And as I left GE, there were, there were hundreds of chapters around the world, tens of thousands of women who were engaged. So I got to really see that dynamic. And I think it's just that. I think you have to, one, see the need. Two, you have to put yourself into it. Um, the Women's Network was one act for many of us, but it was also a requirement to constantly look to hire women uh, or people who were different, not just women, but people with different backgrounds, different, uh, different, you know, uh, race. And, and really, I think what I found was as a creative person, um, perhaps a bit, uh, I stepped into that voice of standing for difference. And any chance I could try to say, is there a different way to solve this problem? Is there a different mind to bring in here? So that's kind of how I, how I'd sum it up. I love it. Well, it clearly made a, a real difference and it and advanced gender equality in the ranks of GE and beyond. Um, and so I think there's a lot to be learned there. One thing that your team has told me is that you really focused on measuring success. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you thought about what, how do you know the women's network is working? Well, I think just by sheer engagement numbers. So I mentioned you know, from a few dozen around a dozen around the table to, to tens of thousands. Well, that took time. So if you had in the early days said, ah, we don't have enough women after 18 months, this isn't working, you would have done yourself a real injustice. So I think that the time, the clarity of the purpose, we spent a lot of time saying, here's what we stand for, leader, recruiting and leadership development. We're not going to stand for solving these other problems that the company has to stand for, meaning work-life balance and some of those issues. We, we, we cannot do everything. Um, continuing to refine the method, um, you know, continuing to say, can we get better? Are we listening to enough diverse voices? I think those platforms create leadership opportunities. That would be one of the unintended consequences that I think are really good. Asking women to serve as champions and leaders of their hub, their region. Um, I can point to a dozen women who were, we were able to promote in the company because we had seen them lead in new ways through the, the, leadership, the, the women's network. So these, these groups form um, incredible vehicles for people not only to get advice and connect, with, and, and connect with women, but to flex their leadership muscles. So that would be the other piece of advice. Create these opportunities where you give people who are different a chance to lead differently. Maybe it's leading a project. Maybe it's ha you know, handling an acquisition or an integration of a new business unit. Why not? Right? Why do you have to feel so narrow? Uh, I used to see these job descriptions coming in in marketing and sales that literally not even a unicorn could fill them. These people were so, like, they were barely an audience of one. They were so specified. And I think with that, an unwritten kind of what wasn't said or an unsaid thing was there's probably not a woman who can fill this. So I think people have to, have to not, they have to change the standards. I'm not sure you can loosen the standards. You have to expand the standards by which you bring in outside talent. I remember once uh, recruiting for the head of sales for our new digital effort. And uh, the headhunter brought us a great slate of candidates, but they were all men. And I remember I'm thinking, like, I, here I'm advocating for more women, and I'm about to make this higher, and I don't feel good about it. So I called the headhunter, and I said, look, 
we've got to get some women in here. And he said, well, we tried, but there just aren't any women. And I was like, wait a minute. There are no women selling software anywhere in the United States or the world for that matter. No women. You mean to tell me no women? Well, then we're not going to do this search. We're going to, we're going to put it on hold. He found this whole slate of women. We hired one who was amazing, and we found four or five others to fill our pipeline. So you have to be patient. You have to set some different standards to say, I want to see a different group of, of candidates here. I love that. There's, it's reinventing the way people are thinking about what, what does this person look like. And it's some of what you talked about in your early career as well. Women don't always the mold of what people have seen in the, in the past because so many of the people who've held these jobs in the past have been men. Um, exactly. Let's That's talk, exactly it. Let's talk a little bit about the work-life balance piece. Um, you have had this extraordinary career and also had another significant accomplishment, which is raising two amazing daughters. How do you manage both? And how, you know, how do we think about pivoting to a place where we can talk about the fact that everyone who's a working parent is doing both these things? Yeah, I love that you raised that, Romy. I, I do think we take for granted. I mean, we talk about how hard it is to balance, but we assume like, you figured that personal stuff out, and we spend most of our time thinking about how do you become a better manager or leader at work when you can't separate the two. Um, it's always seen in a negative light, right? Like, oh, my God, how does she do it all or whatever? I, I never thought I had an option. Uh, my career started just as I had my, my first daughter. I write in the book very candidly about at that moment also – facing into the fact that I needed to be divorced. I, I divorced, was, you know, ended up getting a divorce from my first husband, willingly choosing to go forward just as my career was starting as a single mother. Um, I then got remarried later and had a second daughter. But so for me, those things were always in, just intimately linked. Um, my husband and I will sometimes sit and look at each other and go, how did we do it? We don't know. Like we just figured it out. There was no rule book. I, I couldn't give you a, a, a rule book, even if I wanted to, to go back. I could tell you a lot of things that I shouldn't, couldn't, wouldn't do again. Um, but you just figure it out. And I think that's part of the challenge is we feel we're supposed to have this kind of perfect checklist and everything's supposed to be done. Um, and I, I'm really a believer now in just new models of leadership, the same as new models of parenting. You just have to figure it out. Um, and so there were just some basic tenets uh, you know, I, I, I said to him, I, I knew work was important. I, mean, I had to work. I wanted to work. I felt fulfilled. I had, you know, obligations, both of those things at the same time. Um, and I tried to make sure that I, I made room for my family. Now, look, honestly, there were many times work won and my family didn't. I, I hope I instilled enough in my family an understanding of the choices I had to make, um, that told them enough stories, made enough quality time with my daughters that, that they felt when they got me, they really got me. But did I get that always right? No. I was stressed out. I worried. I was always worried. Was I a good enough mom? Were they going to turn out okay? And somehow you just navigate that. Um, they turned out great. I'm really proud of them. They're fiercely independent, very creative. Um, and I'm really proud of that. And I so if I did anything right, hopefully it was just being able to kind of own the situation we were in, own the struggle as much as the joy, and just be able to admit this is hard and there's no perfect answer. Well, and they had an amazing role model, I have to say. 
But you well, it's funny about book. kids in that, yeah. right? I mean, I, I just yeah. want, it's funny about kids in that too, because I learned so much from them. I mean, I really thought, I think my, their independence, their creativity gave me a certain courage to go back and be that way at work. And I don't think we talk enough about those skills of parenting. Um, since I've been out with a book, I've been hearing from many women who've kind of left the workforce to raise their kids and struggling with how to get back in. Yet there are so many skills we as parents bring. I'm a much better worker. I'm a much better employee because I was a mother. And I think somehow we've got to find a better way to package that for mothers and, and parents in general and recognize that that's part of what you get when you have somebody who's a parent at work. Absolutely. Right. We're discounting all this experience that the parents are gathering every day. Exactly. Um, so another thing that you talk a lot about is that you are an introvert, which is hard to believe. Tell us about that lens and what, what you think that has given you in the workplace or how it's been a challenge. Yeah, a friend of mine recently said, you know, uh, you you say you're an introvert, but I just I've gotten to know you. I don't believe you. You you used to be an introvert. And I said, no, I am at heart an introvert. I've struggled with it my whole life. And and I thought Susan Cain's book Quiet was particularly helpful for me to kind of put context around it. But an introvert is someone who gives away your energy. You need to replenish your energy, and you sort of have to regroup. And it's, so it's about how you navigate your energy. And um, I can be absolutely spent just putting myself out there. It takes huge energy to just put your idea out, to put yourself out there. Um, and, yes, I've learned how to speak up. I've learned how to talk well. But those are, I've learned how to go introduce myself to somebody new, to, to have small talk in a conversation. But those are things that do not come naturally, even to me today. And I think that's what the thing, the thing about introversion is. It it's just takes extra energy to put yourself out there. In addition, I'm shy, I'm reserved, I, I, I'm always the one that holds back. Um, and I just had to give myself small challenges, and that's why I felt it was important to share the personal side of my change story to say, I often held myself back with this. It was much easier to go to a meeting and not pitch a good idea because I was just felt awkward about it or to go to a networking event and not introduce myself because I just felt awkward. Like they don't want to meet me. So I would go, you know, stand by the chip bowl and leave. And then I gave myself these challenges. Okay. You're going to go meet one person. Then the next time you're going to go meet two or in this meeting, you know, last time you had great ideas that never got pitched. Now you're not going to be quiet. You're going to put one idea out and it was less about how did I do it and just that I did it. They were incredibly awkward. My voice was shrill or quiet or whatever. And so I would just kind of give myself these challenges. Um, so that's how I, I had to deal with it because business is a very extrovert arena. And if you are not that way, you have to – it's not fake it till you make it. I think it's just pulling, to me at least, it was pulling those parts of me that probably were there and needed a little encouragement and just – sort of pushing myself as awkward as it was. And the last thing I'd say is just introverts, we introverts offer a lot of great advantages. We're not the loudest voice in the room. We're good observers. We're good synthesizers of meetings often. So I tried to use those strengths um, to, to often, you know, maybe I'd come in at the very end of the meeting and say, here's what I heard, and then add my idea. So it was less about me and more about me synthesizing what had been said. I I uh, 
relates so deeply to so many of the things you've said. And I agree, you know, business and, and even um, sales and building of it is such an, you have to just function as an extrovert. So it's sort of just like strapping on your courage and <laughs> diving in. It's funny um, you say that one of my good friends, she like, she's so extroverted. I think that's what we, we host events together sometimes. And I'm sure that's why we're a good team because she's as extrovert as they come. And I, she's like, I'm like a good wing person for her. Um, she likes to do cold calling, right? I, oh, my God, that's just like a fear of mine. But um, yeah. so I think that's another thing. You can sort of partner for a project with people who round you out. And as somebody who got into sales, what I recognized was often the best sales came from the depth of a relationship I established. So I might not have been the one to do the cold call, but once I got in there and once I listened – and once I was able to, to kind of understand the pain point of the customer, I know I brought kind of an introvert's advantage to listening, observing, connecting, um, that, that I know paid off in the long run. Absolutely. Right. Most salespeople are not introverts, but the reality is the best salespeople are the best listeners, not the best talkers. Yes. <laughs> exactly. All right. So um, would you be willing to tell us about a mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? Yeah, well, um, I, uh, I just to, I'll give you two quick stories. One, this past year, I've been working on my book. I left GE a year ago. I've had to have a very entrepreneurial existence. People may not realize that about publishing. Your publisher does a certain amount, and you're expected to do a lot. I have launched five different websites. I, mean, I feel like everything I've done, I've had to fail to learn, and I, and I think that's just a good reminder. When I think about my, my work career, I document a lot of this in the book. I could easily have called it Fail Forward. But probably the most painful set of experiences were when I went back to NBC, really kind of as my career was, it was established, I was leading digital at NBC, and we acquired a women's community that ultimately failed. We ended up launching something successful out of that, but, but what, what I did wrong in that whole thing is I, I, I lost my perspective. It became sort of the digital cool kids against the people who didn't get it, and I kind of bought into that. And I lost perspective. And I, had, I not, had things not changed, I might have gotten fired from that job. In fact, it wasn't until I kind of set out to do my book and I went and talked to a few, you know, my old bosses, including Jeff Immelt, who had put me in that job. He was the head of GE at the time. And he said, I said, was there ever time you wanted to fire me? Because I was a bit of an instigator and made people angry sometimes. And he said, yeah. That time at, at NBC, you did lose your perspective. Uh, I wrote in the book, I sort of jumped off the, I jumped off the railing into the mosh pit. And, um, and it all, it, it, had I not, had I, had I realized I might have corrected it sooner, but it, it, I came close. And so I think that would be a mistake. Don't lose perspective in, in the heat of change. Yeah, but it's, I mean, in fairness to you, it's really, when you're so committed to achieving results and achieving success, you put your whole heart and soul in it, right? And you kind of, you get narrow. And it, you've got to and do that's a little, what we think. Like, that's what we think innovators right. have to do, right? I mean, you're, look at you. You right. founded this company. You have to just be so, such a zealot about it. Yet there are moments yeah, you when you have to it. stand back. Yeah. But you had to stand back at certain points and go, okay, I need help. I need others. I got to right. step back and get some perspective. That's where you bring advisors and other people in to help you think through these issues. Exactly. All right, I'm going to ask you a fast five fun questions uh, so we can get to know you a little better. What is, what is your favorite karaoke song? <laughs> uh, 
Well, um, my favorite one these days, I have two favorites. I, I can never pick just one. My favorite these days would be um, Changes by David Bowie, just because it's my theme these days about change. But if my absolute Love one it. from, like, when I was a kid used to pick up that silly song, Build Me Up Buttercup. So when I've gone to Japan to do karaoke, I'm a killer Build Me Up Buttercup karaoke singer. And I bet everyone's in it with you, too. That's a great one. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those etched in your brain from early days. I don't know where I picked it up. What's your workout? How do you stay, keep your mind and body uh, nimble in the midst of all this? I love walking. I love being out in nature. So any chance I can get out, walk and hike. Um, and um, these days I'm finding my, I used to do a lot of kickboxing, but these days I, with the pace of my schedule, I'm finding yoga is more uh, what I need to be doing than, than kickboxing right now for what you needed at a, a given time. Right? Yeah. And I think sometimes about it when I was in corporate life and just the struggle of trying to navigate change, you know, I, I call myself a change maker. It's not making change. It's making way for change, but it's a lot of, I think kickboxing was a way to get my aggression out and, you know, kind of feel like I was punching the air or something as a way to deal with that. I've had to do less of that this year. That's fascinating. Wow. All right, who is one person, dead or alive, you would like to have dinner with? Uh, I've spent a lot of time this year in the Hudson Valley, and I just, I'm so fascinated by Eleanor Roosevelt and what the Roosevelts yeah. did at a really chaotic time in America's history and her, her voice that she was able to find. I think that ability to find your voice when everybody else wanted to define you. Uh, I'd want to just sit down and have tea with her and have her tell me how she had the courage to find her voice despite all the criticism. Yeah, that is an incredible story. Mm -hmm. And at a time when it wasn't common for a first lady to have a voice at all. Not at all. And yet she helped seed so much good. Um, and, and really she had a partnership with her husband as different as they may have been. And so uh, I think her ability to look for partners and how she navigated is also something that, um, that I've learned from her studying her great what book has had the greatest impact on your life on my life it's hard to say because I love reading books I mean when I was growing up I think I read I, I'd probably say something like um, 1984 when I was growing up um, was really profound and then in my business wow. career uh, Twyla Tharp's creative habit I love as about sort of a practice for creativity, working in companies where people feel they're not creative, but they really are. So those would be two very different uh, books. I love it. I'm, I want to go read them both. I, I can't believe I never read 1984. But I, I know. I you have to go back and read those. Yeah. I went back yeah. and read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein over the summer. I had never read that. That's great. All right, um, our last fast five. So at Fairy Godboss, we have noticed that women are not as comfortable bragging as men are. And so we want to change that. So would you please brag for us? Tell us about something you're really proud of. Well, I had a good run in my career. I'm really proud personally of opening myself up, again, to what we said earlier, shy, in, uh, reserved, introverted. I had to really take steps to open myself up to be more approachable, to be more accessible. That was something I really worked at, and I'm proud of myself for that. And I'm also proud that I was, I was able to help open a big company up, 
to not just think we knew all the answers, to not just do it from internal best practices, but to open ourselves up to new ways, to sparks of doing it different, to provocation, to partnership. And so those are two things I'm I, sort of related that I'm very proud of. I love it. And now you've, you, what's amazing is you're bringing that experience to so many different companies, um, which I think is incredible. So what is, to close, what is one piece of advice you would give our audience? Fairy God Boss listeners are talented, ambitious women who have a lot of questions and concerns about how do they advance their careers. What do you, what's the advice you'd give them all? Yeah, I mean, you said the word. I, I'd say own your ambition, uh, and ambition as it relates to you, not what someone else tells you ambition is. I think over my career, I often had a fear of ambition. Like to say I was ambitious to own the ambition would have been, I don't know, sort of like I, one doesn't do that, but of course one does. I was incredibly ambitious. I, uh, I found a, a, a book a report I did when I was 14, and um, – I re- went through it recently. I was cleaning up stuff at my mother's house, and um, I found this passage that I absolutely love. When I was 14, I wrote, I'm ambitious. I want to be 50 different things in my life. And I realize I'm still that person, and that person was always speaking to me. Um, so that would be the thing, own your ambition, whatever your ambition is. Your ambition doesn't necessarily mean you have to be CEO of a company. Uh, I did not end up becoming CEO of a company. I, uh, certainly the company I worked for, I had different ambitions. I wanted to seed, grow, create new things. I created a different kind of path for myself, but I was incredibly ambitious to do that. So own it, make it the word that works for you, not someone else's definition of what ambition is. Well, that is fantastic advice. Own your ambition, whatever it is. That's I'm feeling really inspired. Thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for the opportunity, and I'm cheering you and the Fairy Godboss community on. It's really important to have this uh, community to, for people to be able to be inspired, encouraged, and learn from. Thank you. And I have to tell our listeners, if you have not read Beth's amazing book, Imagine It Forward, please go out and get it today. And uh, Beth, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Romy. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.